Welcome to Stapleton Church Online. I'm so glad that you're joining with us today. My name is Matt Wolf. I'm the lead pastor of Stapleton Church, and we are all about helping people follow Jesus, even though we are one church in literally hundreds of locations today. I'm so glad that you're joining us. I actually have a special message for you today. You see, I, I've been, I'm a planner and I usually plan out my messages weeks, months, a year in advance. And we've been going through the Gospel of Luke in a series of mini-series, including the last one, Change Agents. And I have circled today to actually continue that Luke series with a special message. But over the last couple of weeks, I was feeling discouraged. I was feeling like what I was doing didn't even matter. There was days when I just almost wanted to throw in the towel But it seemed like every time that I got to the point where I felt so discouraged that someone would send me an email of encouragement or a text or a phone call or even just uh, verbally say something to me, and it boosted my spirits. In fact, my coach, Bruce, who's coached me as a lead pastor for a couple of years now, he wrote an article and it really encouraged me. At the end of it, I was like, yes, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. And, And afterwards, I knew exactly what I needed to preach for this message today because I don't think I'm the only one who feels discouraged. I don't think I'm the only one who's concerned about what they're doing and is it enough and and, and with fear coming up you you wonder do do I have what it takes to do what I need to do? There's fear, there's discouragement going on right now. So if I need courage, I, I, I know that I'm not the only one. And I think we can all come and say, yes, we need encouragement for simple things. Like, it's hard to get online and do Zoom chats with everyone and try to figure out how to do our jobs in completely different ways. Or, or get through the period of a job loss. There are things that we're dealing with right now that every single one of us needs some courage. And I think because of that, I was drawn immediately by God to a story of someone in in the Scriptures who shows tremendous courage. And that is none other than the woman Esther. An incredible woman has an entire book of the Bible named after her. And I believe that we're going to learn some really great stuff from Esther today. Because God made her for such a time as this. And I think in our time right now with the coronavirus, with financial crisis, that God is ready for us to encourage us today. So we're going to be looking, covering a huge swath of the book of Esther. So just follow along as I go along. You can follow along the scriptures at at different points. I will reference where we're going to be. But what I want you to notice at first is that Esther, the story starts with her in a place of comfort where things were good. If you know anything about the story of Esther, you know that she was an incredibly beautiful young woman. And when the king at the time in Persia, where God's people, the Jews, were living, of course Esther was one of them, the Persian king, the Persian emperor Xerxes, was looking for a wife. So he set up this big elaborate scheme to bring all the young uh, unmarried women from the entire empire in to basically have a contest so he could pick his wife. It was basically the very first season of The Bachelor. And he brought all these women, and they would go through 12 months of beauty treatments, which, uh, for some that might sound great, like pampering, but for others, you realize that that would be excruciatingly painful of a year's worth of beauty treatments. But Esther went through all that along with all the other women in the empire, and then at the end of it, she went with Xerxes, and Xerxes saw her, he talked with her, and because of her personality, because of her looks... 
Um, she basically persuaded him and he said, uh, she's the one. And he picked her, he gave her the final rose in a sense and made her his queen. And because of that, she had it all. Or at least that's what it felt like. In chapter 2, you see that um, it talks about this time and it says, Now the king was attracted to Esther more than to any of the other women and she won his favor and approval more than any of the other virgins. So he set a royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti, who was his former queen. In verse 18, And the king gave a great banquet, Esther's banquet, for all his nobles and officials. He proclaimed a holiday throughout the provinces and distributed gifts with royal liberality. In other words, she gets picked, she's now the queen, and they're going to throw this huge nationwide party in her honor. And they're giving all these gifts out there. To, I mean, this is like an Oprah show, right? It's like, a car for you, a car for you. The king is just giving away all this stuff. Huge feast, huge party. She's the belle of the ball. Literally, everyone's looking to her. What a life. I mean, talk about rags to riches. She has it made and she is comfortable. And from this point, she's living in the palace with the king. She has servants that wait on her hand and feet. She eats the best food. And what's interesting is that this is how the story starts out with her in a very comfortable place. And I think if we were to rewind our world just back a few months ago, we were all pretty comfortable. Sure, a lot of us were dealing with individual things. But nothing like this. Nothing like this. We weren't thinking we were going to lose our jobs because it was the lowest unemployment almost on record. We weren't worried so much about the people's health any more than usual. But now there's a pandemic going on. We were comfortable. And what's interesting is I think our life was actually probably better than what Esther would have faced. Okay, we had running water indoors. Okay, that's a pretty big deal. And we can eat good food. I mean, just like Esther was able to eat at the king's table, we have the best chefs in the world that we can literally get on our phone, not have to leave, and then Grubhub will bring it to your doorstep and you can eat like kings and queens. We had it made. We were comfortable. Life was good in the United States. But then just like we had something jolt us out of our comfort, so did Esther. You see, Esther was an orphan. Both her parents had died. We don't know why, but she was living in the Persian Empire as an exile, and she was being raised by her cousin. So she had a much older cousin named Mordecai. And Mordecai raised her. Mordecai basically became Esther's dad. And Mordecai was working at the city gate. And one of the king's uh, favorite people, actually his second-in-command, a man by the name of Haman, um, would go around into the, the capital and he would have people bow down in honor to him. Now, we're not told why. It's possible because of Mordecai's faith or it's possible too because of Mordecai's uh, just an ancient feud that Mordecai would have had with Haman's family. But Mordecai refused to bow down to this man who's the prince, the second in command to the entire emperor, empire. So this made Haman livid. So, Haman goes to the king, because he's the second in command, right? He has the king's ear. He goes to the king, King Xerxes, and he convinces him, even bribes him, to write an order so that all of the Jews could be killed. See, Haman was mad at one man, Mordecai, but he decided he would commit genocide and murder an entire people group 
because of that one man. Now at the time, Haman didn't know that Esther was also a Jew, but Haman just wanted to get rid of Mordecai, and this was going to lead to a period of death. I mean, this was going to be an awful time, a genocide that would happen against the Jews. This is the ancient Hitler, right? This is the ancient Hitler, and King Xerxes is persuaded, or he's bribed, or or he's influenced, or he just doesn't care. And he says, fine, you can kill all of them. And Mordecai finds out about this. The Jews throughout the empire find out about it, and they start weeping, mourning, wailing. They tear off their clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes to show that they are grieving, calling out to God to help them. But of course, Esther's in the palace. Things are good. She doesn't even know what's going on. So, Mordecai goes to the palace, but he's only allowed up to the gate. So he's at the gate outside the palace and he starts grieving, mourning, weeping, wailing in sackcloth and ashes. And some of uh, Esther's attendants hear about this and they bring word to Esther. And and it's interesting where that picks up now in chapter 4, verse 4. It says, When Esther's eunuchs and female attendants came and told her about Mordecai, she was in great distress. I think that's interesting. You can underline that word distress. That's so interesting because it says she's in great distress. Is it because she found out that all her people were going to die? No. She sent clothes for him to put on instead of his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Basically, she's mad at her dad for making a scene. How People know that we're related, she would have been thinking. Why are you doing this? You're making a scene. You need to put on some real clothes. You're at the palace. What's going on? Put some, put some nice clothes on. Take a shower, Dad. That's what Esther's doing. This is not because she realizes the gravity of the situation. Because she's upset that her dad is making a scene. Now, now this is so interesting because I think right now that Esther... Maybe because of lack of knowledge, maybe because of lack of understanding, but she's in a sense in denial. She doesn't realize how grave the situation is. She's complacent. She's complacent, and and that's so interesting because I think if we rewind back the clock just a little bit, a month ago, a month and a half ago, maybe even a few weeks ago, most of us were in denial about how bad the situation is with coronavirus. I remember I was reading some of the news stories and it just seemed like it was so off and distant. Oh, it's way over there in China. Okay, maybe it's getting a little closer. Oh, okay, maybe it's on the coast. But, but I would read about it. Oh, it's not much worse than the flu. And I remember one day, very early on, I went home and one of my neighbors was sitting outside and, and she's a doctor. And I approached her and I was just asking her about it because figuring someone, a medical person, would know a little bit more. And I said just an offhand comment. And I said, oh, yeah, it's, it's not much worse than the flu. The flu kills thousands, tens of thousands of people every year. And she stopped me. She said, no, Matt, this is way worse than the flu. And I had to stop because I realized, whoa, I don't know what I'm talking about. This is much bigger than I thought it was. And it was that week, I think just the next day, that the NBA started canceling all their games, that Tom Hanks got the coronavirus, that the next week we were issued by the governor that we needed uh, to to stop meeting in big groups. And I had that moment that I realized, I came out of denial to realize how big and how dangerous the situation was. And I think all of us had that at some point or another. Some were early on to understand how bad of a situation this pandemic was. Others were late. Some of you maybe are still thinking, oh, it can't be that bad. It can't be that bad. 
But the reality is when there's a crisis like this, a lot of us start out in denial and something has to shake us out of it. And that's exactly what would happen to Esther. She was shaken out of her denial because Mordecai refused the clothes that she sent out to him. And in fact, he sends back the messengers to tell Esther about what's going on. In verse 11, you can pick up the story. In chapter 4, verse 11, it says, All the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman... I just completely messed up. (sighs) Just keep going, and then I'll cut it out and put it together. (laughs) I don't do that on Sunday mornings, do I? Okay. (sighs) Sorry, guys. No, I don't need to go to verse 11 yet. That's the problem. Okay, They're in denial. But Mordecai sends the messengers back to her and says, No, no, no. It's much worse than you're thinking about it. Do you realize that Haman has put a law before the king and your husband, King Xerxes, has signed into law that every single one of the Jews is going to be killed? This is a matter of life and death for an entire people group. Our people group, Mordecai tells Esther. And Esther hears the news. She hears this from attendants, and yet still, she's afraid to do anything about it. She's afraid. And this is where we pick it up in verse 11. She responds back to Mordecai through the messengers, and she says in verse 11, All the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that they be put to death unless the king extends the gold scepter to them and spares their lives. But 30 days have passed since I was called to go to the king. You see, Mordecai wanted Esther to go to the king and and try to reverse this edict or, or get something passed to protect God's people. But she was afraid. She saw the obstacles in her path. She realized that in order to go into the king's presence and enter into his throne room, she had to be invited. And it was the law of the land that no one could go before the king or they would be executed unless they had his permission. So yes, she realized now the gravity of this situation. She's moved out of denial, but she's afraid. She sees the obstacles in front of us. And that's what we do when we're afraid. We think of all the obstacles, all the things standing in our way. Why we can't get it done. Why, why we can't step up. Why we can't handle the new technology that's coming, being thrown at us. I don't know if I can get through it. I don't know if I can keep going to work with a situation like this. Or go to the grocery store to get what I need. There's fear that comes with the gravity of the situation. And for Esther, it was no different. To make matters worse, she knew Xerxes personally. And she knew that Xerxes could get angry. And he would drink. And when those two things happened together, it was bad news. You see, the reason why there was a position open for Queen was because Xerxes' first wife, Vashti, had gone and refused to do what the king said. When the king said, come, she said, no. So he banished her for life. I mean, he was drunk, he was angry, and he made that decision to basically get rid of his queen forever. So Esther knows that this man has a temper, he drinks, and if I go in there, I could be executed. I can't do this. 
I, I can't do anything about this. I'm, I'm sorry, Mordecai. That's what she's trying to say. I, I, I'm afraid. And I think it's good to acknowledge that Esther was afraid because we too have fear. We too have fear about how we can do things. How can I continue to work at home and figure out all this online situation, keep providing for my family and watching the kids now? How the heck am I supposed to do this? How am I supposed to adapt my entire work, everything I've done, so that my business can continue to run at this time? How can I handle this situation of a shortage of funds for my personal life or maybe for your business? We have a fear. Let's call it out. Because I think Esther is sharing that fear by by naming the obstacles, naming the difficulties that stand in her path. We have fear. We have obstacles. And this is so important for us to learn. This is so important for us to learn because to be courageous does not mean to not have any fear. I love how John Wayne said it the best when he said, Courage is being scared to death, but saddling up anyway. Courage is being uh, scared to death, but saddling up anyway. I think there's somebody watching right now, in home, afraid that you need to hear this. It's okay to be afraid. We have fear. But that doesn't mean it needs to stop us from acting. Courage is being scared to death, but saddling up anyway. And that's what Esther needed to learn too. So when the message gets passed back from Esther to Mordecai, Mordecai sends another message back to Esther. And we pick that up in verse 13. It says, Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows, but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. If you're taking notes, highlight that. If you have that in your Bible. For such a time as this. This is so important. Mordecai says, you think you're going to survive this? No, you've got to act. And in fact, maybe this is the reason why you're in the palace in the first place. See, he's trying to spur her on to be courageous. Not to not be afraid. He says, you could die. We all could die, but you've got to act. You've got to saddle up. Time to saddle up and get out there. You see, what's interesting is Mordecai knew that this woman was the sole Jew. The sole Jewish person, all of God's people that were in the palace that had the king's ear. And on top of that, the king liked her. I mean, he had picked her of all the young women in the entire empire to be his queen. She was beautiful. She had charm. That she had certain physical attributes and uh, mental and emotional attributes that were attractive. And that she was not only had those things built into her personality and built into her by God, but she was also in the unique position to go before the king like nobody else in the entire empire. This is important. And Mordecai could see it. And he was trying to spur her to action. And what we need to learn from this is the same thing. Because it's not just Esther that was put in the royal palace for such a time as this. But that you and I, too, have been made for such a time as this. I want you to know this. God made you for such a time as this. 
God made you. He knit you together in your mother's womb before you were ever born. He put together your personality. He put together your physical attributes to make you into the person you are today. That, that on top of that, God placed you in the place that you're living right now. Did you know that? In Acts 17.26, it says that God made all the people of the world. Now they live all over the earth. He decided exactly when they should live, and He decided exactly where they should live. See, God knows exactly what He's doing, and He made you for this time and this place. On top of that, God uh, created you for this in Christ Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, He has redeemed you so that you can do these things. In Ephesians 2.10, we read that God has made us what we are. In Christ Jesus, God made us to do good works, which God planned in advance for us to live our lives doing. You see, we have each been knit by God, created by God, placed by God in this time and place, in this location, in this employment opportunity, in this living situation, in this hospital where you work, so that you could do something. You were made for this. God made you for such a time as this. Do you realize this? It's no coincidence that you are the one taking care of those children. It's, it's no coincidence that you are the one that's working in that situation that's dangerous. It's no coincidence that you're the leader of that organization and watching or managing over other staff. God made you for such a time as this. Your attributes, your personality, your physical characteristics, all of it has been knit by God since before the creation of the world. God knew what He was doing when He put you in this time and place, in the time of pandemic. God made you for such a time as this. And when Esther received this message, she knew that this was her being spurred into action. That she knew that to be courageous didn't mean that she wasn't afraid, but it meant saddling it up anyways. And in verse 16, she responds. She said, Go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa. Now, have you noticed how I've been saying they've been going back and forth with messengers? This is such a fascinating little thing, but I think it's important for us today because Esther was by herself in the palace. She was isolated from her only family member, Mordecai. She was isolated from her people, from the people who shared her faith. She was all alone, and she's having to go back and forth by messengers. I think we can kind of relate to that, can't we? That we feel isolated, we feel away from the people we love and care about, from maybe our church family. You're even watching this right now at home. Maybe wishing that you could be in the auditorium of Hangar 61, worshiping with God's people. But we're not. We can feel isolated. And even still, there's a sense of togetherness that Esther feels. She says, go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and get this, and fast for me. And fast for me. That's what she says next. And fast for me. So she's asking them to pray and to fast, to stop uh, eating food, because when you stop eating food, it creates these hunger pains and reminds you that God is the provider of all things. And it leads us to cry out to God when we're hungry. And it reminds us again and again throughout the day to pray. They're fasting for three days. And I'm saying this because this spiritual act, in order for us to step out in courage, we need to act spiritually as well. And this week we're going to have a special, unique opportunity to pray and fast together. This Friday, April 10th, for Good Friday. 
The, we're part of a movement of churches called Converge Worldwide, and the president of our movement, Scott Rideout, um, asked all the churches in our network, it's, it's about over 1,400 churches, asked us all to make Friday, April 10th, a day of prayer and fasting. And I'm going to encourage and challenge you guys to do that with us. I, I'm going to do it, and I want us, for that day, to pray and fast. If you are physically able, if you're medically able, and you're clear for it, I want you to take that day to fast, to pray for our nation, to pray for our nation's leaders, to pray for our church, to pray for those who are out of work, to pray for our healthcare professionals, to pray for those who are sick. We're going to take that day to pray together because there are people who need courage. We need courage. And then at the end of that day, at 7 p.m., we're going to do something special. We're going to have a Good Friday night of prayer and worship. And... and and we're really going to do some things the all week. We're going to be sending out some updates with this. We're going to have a, a devotion, church-wide devotional that we're putting together for every single day in the week so that we can prepare for our Easter Sunday, prepare for victory. And at the end of that week, that Friday night at 7 p.m., it's going to be a short service, but we're going to have a time that we're going to lead you into prayer, lead you into worship, so that together we can step out courageously and do what God has called us to for such a time as this. And that's what Esther did. He, she, she wanted all the people to pray with her, to fast with her, even though she was isolated from them. And there's another thing she did in verse 16. So when she says, Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. And when this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And I get this at the very end of verse 16. And if I perish, I perish. And if I perish, I perish. That's what Esther says. You see, even at this moment, Esther knew that she faced certain death. She faced going into a king. She hadn't seen him for 30 days. Maybe he'd, um, he'd moved on from her. Didn't care about her. Moved on to some other women, as kings were prone to do in those days. She didn't know if she went into the king's throne room, if she would literally be killed. She knew the stakes, and yet she knew she needed to act anyway. It was time to saddle up. <clears throat> so she went there. She stepped out. And, and this is so important uh, because, you know, when we step out courageously today, there are some of us literally who are facing the chance or the, the, the idea that we may get the coronavirus, that just going to the grocery store, let alone delivering food or stocking shelves or um, dealing with customers or for those of you who are in the medical field, helping to take care of patients who are sick with the coronavirus. We face danger. We face death when we do these things. And we need to acknowledge that those are the realities of the situation we're in right now. But we have to do it. That's what we need to do. In Jim Collins' book, uh, Good to Great, he tells the story of Admiral James Stockdale, who was the highest-ranking um, military officer that was a POW in Vietnam. And for eight years, he was held as a prisoner of war, and he was uh, tortured over 20 times. And years later, he was asked in an interview he, about who made it through the, the torture and the interrogation and who didn't. And so the, the question was, who, who didn't make it? And he said, oh, that's easy. It was the optimists. What? He said, it's easy. The optimists were the ones who didn't make it. Because they said, oh, we're going to be out of here by Christmas. And then Christmas would roll, roll around and pass. 
And then they'd say, oh, we're going to be out of here by Easter. And then Easter would come and they were still there. And then Thanksgiving came and then Christmas again. And he said they died of a broken heart. He said, the people who made it were the ones who, yes, were optimistic about the long-term outcome, but knew realistically that it was going to be hard and they were going to face challenges in the meantime. In fact, he said that you must never confuse faith that you will prevail in the end, which you can never afford to lose, with the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of your current reality, whatever they might be. So we've got to face the brutal facts and realize how difficult things are right now and say, yes, they are challenging. Yes, there are dangers. Yes, there are financial hardships. But yet we must act anyways and know in the end that things will be okay. That God will come through in the end. And I think it was in that courage, though there was fear, though there were obstacles, though there was death, Esther did step out. And she approached the king's throne room. Now I think we can only imagine what this scene would have been like. With Esther, I'm sure, uh, just tiptoeing into the throne room. And as she walked in with her head bowed, she would have walked into the center of the room. And there stopped. And I can just imagine with, with palms sweaty, with heart pounding, she would have glanced around the room, and in that room would have been the king's bodyguards, the immortals. You might know them from a movie called 300, but the immortals in the ancient world were the best military force around. They were like the Navy SEALs of today, and these uh, men were efficient at killing people. And they were King Xerxes' personal bodyguards. And as she walked into the room, she knew that their blades could kill her in a moment's notice. And she would have looked around in this room and she would have glanced at the king. Maybe she would have smelled the air to see, has he been drinking today? Is he in one of those moods? She would have looked at his eyes. Is he going to accept me? And she probably would have glanced too as he held that golden scepter in his hand. And as he began to tighten his hand around it, I wonder if the words of Mordecai echoed in her ears. For such a time as this. But she stood there awaiting the king's decree. Would she die or would she have a chance to live? But as he gripped that golden scepter, he extended it to her, showing that she was accepted. And she humbly approached it to touch the scepter. And from there she was able to set up a banquet and eventually persuade the king to create a new edict to free her people. And in that act of courage, Esther stepped out to save an entire people group, a nation, from certain death. One woman courageously and boldly stepped out in courage because she knew that God had made her for such a time as this. And I think Esther's example should give courage to each one of us for whatever danger and fears that we face in our lives that we need to step out as well. What's really interesting is that it says that Esther did this on the third day. And what we're doing this week is remembering Holy Week where something else happened on the third day. Because one of the Jews that was saved because of Esther's brave act would eventually lead to a descendant who was named Jesus. 
And we know Jesus too because he faced obstacles and fears. That he knew that people would betray him. That his disciples would abandon him. That he would be isolated all alone and thrown to be into a false trial. Where he was falsely accused of crimes he did not commit. Where they would beat him, they would mock him, they would insult him. And then they would put him up for death. But with Esther, she knew that if I perish, I perish. And yet she was saved from that. But not Jesus. He knew he may perish, and he did. He went on the cross, and he died for our sins. Though he had done nothing wrong. But what's amazing is we know that on the third day, something happened. Stay tuned for next week. Stay tuned for next week. But we know that Jesus too boldly and courageously faced death for us. So that he could conquer over that and purchase our salvation. That all people who put their faith in Jesus, not just the Jews, but all men and women, all children, for all time could put their faith in Jesus and be saved from their certain destruction. And because Jesus did that to boldly and courageously go for such a time as this, I think we too can be empowered to go and face whatever we're facing. Deal with whatever obstacle stands in our way and whatever fear is just overcoming us that we can step out and know that God has knit us together. He's created us. He's placed us. He's made us for such a time as this. That we can go out and we can do all those things even though it means we may get a virus or maybe it even just means staying home because we don't want to infect someone else. We can be bold and courageous. For those who are working with patients right now, I want to encourage you. Be bold and courageous. We know that these next 30 days here in Colorado are going to be the worst of the pandemic for us. We know that there is going to be death happening at a rate way faster than anything we're expecting even. And I know this message is for some people right now to hear. That if you're listening to this right now, I want you to know that God has made you for such a time as this. Whatever it is you need to do, to love, to serve, to keep going, to just go to work, I don't know what the thing is, but whatever it is, God made you for such a time as this. And it's more than just the physical help we can bring. There's also an eternal help that we need to bring every single one of us. Because this is a bizarre year. Easter, of course, is our biggest day of the year as a church. It's our Super Bowl Sunday. We were praying and anticipating over 800 people showing up to our Easter services this year. But our auditorium is going to be empty. And we can look at that as a negative, or we can think of it as a great opportunity. That maybe we have this technology we have today for such a time as this. That maybe God has put it on each one of our hearts, and I believe He is right now, to send out texts, to invite people, to share our Sunday streams so that every person you know can watch the stream. People that aren't even physically able to make it on a Sunday morning to Stapleton Church. Well, guess what? People who are too afraid to show up on a Sunday morning. Well, guess what? We can invite them and they can watch from the comfort of their home, watching on their phones. And we can present to them the good news of Jesus Christ that He died for them and that He rose on the third day. And because of that, they can have eternal life. That's some good news that people need to hear. That we can help save people from an eternity of separation from God. 
that maybe it's for such a time as this we have this technology and we can invite people. So I want to encourage you and challenge you to do. And guess what? They're going to be home. They're not going to brunch. They're not going on a hike. They're not traveling or spending time with family. They're going to be at home. Perfect opportunity for them to hear this good news of Jesus Christ. And I believe that whatever it is, don't be afraid it's going to hurt their relationship. No, it's only going to help that person come closer to God. So we are here right now. And it's time for us to step out in faith, maybe to do something courageously, maybe to invite someone to watch our live stream next week for our Easter service. But whatever it is, I want you to know clearly that God created you for such a time as this. Let's pray. Lord God, even though we are separated, even though we are one church in hundreds of locations, you are bringing us together to be men and women, youth and children of courage. That we, even though we have fears, even though there are obstacles in our in our own path, that you have created us, you've knit us together, you've made us for such a time as this. And I pray that we would boldly step out, that we would prayerfully, together with friends and family, even if it's just through a text or an email, that we would encourage each other so that we can do what we are called and created to do right now. And Lord God, use us to do a mighty thing this week and in the month ahead. And for this next week with Easter, Lord God, I pray that you would give us many souls, that there would be people who would be saved from eternal hell because of the message they would hear next week. And use us to be your messengers for that good news. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.